HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. We decided it's high time we do an episode about Mary Jane. Marijuana, things are happening. That's right. This episode is about pot. We're exploring the rhetoric surrounding legalization in New York's recent gubernatorial primaries. And a cheesemonger turned cannabis consultant shares the tricks of the trade. Great. So do you want to conquer the world? Do you want to have hazy eyes? Do you want to, you know, just relax all day and be floaty? And we find out how one exemplary South Carolina farmer is trying his hand at a new crop. Every plant that comes up from seed is different. And so it's... It's learning how the plant grows, how it responds, and then familiarizing myself and my senses with this plant. Plus, Hannah Forden and I taste test the hottest new cocktail ingredient, CBD. So subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when the newest episode of Meet and 3 drops. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil the rhythm and blues that's him. It's gonna get you sun in the air. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte, and Southern Teague is in foggy old London town right now. So we are gonna kind of battle that weather with some sunshine today and uh have some tiki drinks and yeah some rum yeah yeah <laughs> today in the studio we've got our buddy kevin berry from chicago welcome to the show oh hey man thanks you are the beverage director at three dots and a dash that's right that's very cool yeah. man you guys how many awards have you guys won so, uh <clears throat> like, we've done pretty well we've done um, pretty well you know it was, it was <laughs> really nice. before my time um yeah. you know we uh there was a best news uh cocktail bar spirited award yeah. In 13. Yeah. It was in 2013? Mm-hmm. Wow. How, wait, how long has it been around now? It's just five years old. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's cool. Dude, I I hate to say this, but I have not spent... I've, I've spent extremely limited time in Chicago, and I've got a whole list of places I need to visit. That is... It, Three Dots and Dash is definitely at the very top of it. Um, man, you guys have so many good... 
things going there. Yeah, it's cool. Really good scene. Awesome food scene. You know, cocktail scene's a bit in a transition at the moment, but really some, I think, some bright things on the horizon. Yeah, cool. Um, last time I was there, I was on, the only time I've been there, I was, besides like transferring in the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, which reminds me, I need to go to Charlotte too, because I've been there like 20 <laughs> times, but only in the airport. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, I was just there on tour with my band, and like we, we were just there for one night, and we, we like went to Pequod's for for pizza, okay. and like I think we hit like some dive bar, which I can't remember, and then then we had to get on the road. But yeah. like I, I wanted I had this whole list of places I want to go to, but you're on tour with like seven people in right. a van. It's like you're not gonna walk into like a, a nice cocktail bar with seven smelly dudes who've been like eating beef jerky and farting like across state lines. <laughs> well, we'd love to have you anytime. <laughs> <All right. laughs> So tell us about Three Dots and a Dash for those who aren't familiar. Yeah, so it's a you know it's kind of a, a speakeasy style tiki bar um, located off a, a dark, scary alley in uh, River North neighborhood of Chicago. Um, so you you know you, you venture your way down the alley, you come down the stairs, and you know you enter this sort of subterranean tiki bar. Cool. And that's the show. All right. Thanks uh, yeah. for listening to Speakeasy. <laughs> and that's that, folks. Yeah, but it's uh, you know it, it's a it's a Great program. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, we'll put in, we've got 125 uh, folks seated, and then, you know, we'll have about 250 people in there at, at capacity in the weekend. So we've somewhat had to master the, the art of, of high-volume tiki drinks. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is it just being a, a fairly low-key, fun environment. Cool. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that always, like, concerns me with, with making tiki drinks for that many people is obviously you've got a lot of ingredients, a lot of garnishes. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, tiki drinks are about like fun and flair, and like like it's a, as much a visual thing as it is like depth of of ingredients For and sure. recipe. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you like? I mean, do you, are you batching stuff? I mean, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That part's a lot. That's where we've spent a lot of time. Yeah. Um, in in the three years that I've been there, is is really dialing all that stuff in. Um. So yeah, we'll we'll batch base spirits. Uh, this current menu, we have sixteen various rum batches uh we'll do four fully batched cocktails run on nitrogen draft um and then it's down to planning and projecting every single item that goes in the cocktail so there's currently i don't know something like 36 or 38 prepared garnish items so for every given day trying to make an assumption of how many you're going to sell project to produce that many overproduce on ones that you know are going to be hard to make and then ones that you can easily make on the fly maybe do a little bit less and just manage that you know waste versus having what you need balance i mean that's definitely like to me that sounds a lot like a the way that you like prep in the kitchen for for like any night service you know yeah. like you don't want to be wasting food mm-hmm. you know at the end of the night when things are going to turn obviously garnishes are the same way there yep. some of them are you know like when you do things like dehydrated wheels of citrus you sure. know, obviously those will last yeah. for a while mm-hmm. but having um man like having like fresh pineapple garnishes and like cherries and things like that. It's like, it's, you can't really like, yeah. It, so you just, do you like look at your your product mix? Yeah, like, for sure. Kind of uh, so we'll look at an average of the last eight weeks sales for that particular day. Um, and then look at sort of what the volume looks like at a reservation count, what's happening in the city, whatever, whatever environmental factors there may be. And then, you know, take our best guess on, on how many of each cocktail we're going to sell. Wow. And the crazy part, the, the product mix is all over the map, man. We see, from day to day, from week to week, it's not a static, this is the best seller. I mean, it really does vary quite a bit by, by who comes in. Yeah. I mean, I've always been interested by the, the uh, whenever you had your seasonal menus, yeah. like, 
there's always like that one cocktail that sells really well for like a week. <laughs> for and sure. you're like, you're like, fuck, we gotta yeah. like batch this one. Yeah. We gotta start batching it, and then like yeah. it doesn't sell like at all for the rest of the whole right. season. Right, right, right. It's I just crazy. It's hard, especially to, when everybody puts their fall menus out. Everyone's super jazzed on the baking spice and the cinnamon, whatever, yeah, the totally. apple flavors. And then, like you said, you get around the holidays and it's over. Nobody wants to drink that stuff anymore. Right. Exactly. It's. Fall is my favorite season for cocktails, though. I mean, yeah. like, just ba- based on that, like, baking spices and just, like... There's, like... It's it's also a fun season to kind of, like, morph your menu, like, through throughout the season. Because yeah. you can... Because it does change. I mean, like, right now, this is technically fall, and it's, like, 80 degrees in New York City. You know? I know. So, yeah. So you can't really, like, have a hot toddy or a hot mm-hmm. buttered rum on your menu right. right now. But you know what? In, like, a month or month and a half, still within the season... You can like swap something out that's like more weather appropriate for now, yeah, to something that's a warm drink. And and winter, it sounds crazy, but winter is very much tiki season, at least for us in the Midwest, because that's when escapism, like for one, that's part of it. But also, just when when you're talking about the actual cocktails, that's when citrus starts getting really good. Sure. So citrus sucks all summer, um, right? And then you know, as we start getting the fall, we get amazing grapefruit and tangerine juice and orange juice uh, out of Florida, and that's really when those drinks really shine. Um, but then you lose like all that awesome tropical produce that you had over the summer. Sure. So it's, it's definitely a, a big transition for us going into the fall every year. Do you? Well, based on that, I mean, like, there, I went to a, a seminar. I think it was Nick Strangeway. It was like maybe eight years, seven or eight years ago. But he was talking about like preserving, preserving ingredients uh, from the summer, like for the winter, and it's basically exactly what you're talking about. But like. Some of them, like, it's, that's that's where it gets tricky, though, because, like, you can't, like, if you're making, like, a preserve, then you're not actually getting the acidity Mm -hmm. out of the actual fruit itself from the time that it was, like, popping, you know, in the summer. So, I don't know. Do you guys do stuff like that there? I've always thought about it, like, when things are in the peak of season, like, trying to to capture it and harness it for the next menu or through the next season, but I think just... Then on top of that, the difficulty of figuring out how much you need right, to preserve right. now for a menu in three months from now um, has always been a little tricky. Yeah, because because um, that drink might be very very popular, then it runs out, right. or you might be sitting on that ingredient because mm-hmm. that drink was weird. <laughs> right, exactly. It just didn't work out. Yeah. But you know, when when you have that day when the like the insane rainier cherries or something come in, you know, you're trying right. always trying to like harness that. So speaking of cherries, I we were talking before the show about you know some of our favorite drinks and what got us into into bartending like the Manhattan um, let's back up and talk about your entry into the bar world you originally from you started in, in Philadelphia correct? yeah I actually grew up here in Long Island um, <clears throat> and then went to school in Philly and um, when I was right before I was getting ready to go to school you know I was 17 it was over the summertime myself and, and some colleagues I worked with decided we were uh, we were all going to go to a bartending school at night. What were you drinking at the time? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Probably, you know, Natural Light and, and Jack Daniels or something. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Just needed to know. <laughs> so we decided we were going to go to bartending school. Uh, we all do this thing because <clears throat> the idea is that, you know, we'll get to college the next semester. We'll be able to get bartending jobs. It'll sustain us through, you know, our, sure. our four years of school, whatever. Uh, so we do this and we go to this the New York Bartenders Academy and learn how to make cocktails with uh, colored water. Yeah. <laughs> Which, whatever, did turn out to be enough to get me my first entry-level shitty bartending job on uh, a dinner cruise boat as soon as I got to Philly. <laughs> nice. So that, that's kind of where I, I dove in. Uh, and maybe where all those blender skills came from, you know? 
I've never worked in a bar with a blender. All right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it can be... It frightens me. <laughs> you know, there's pros and cons. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it these days because I prefer a blender to a frozen machine. I think I can make way better drinks in a blender. Um, so, yeah. And we do a lot of stuff to make that, that easy and not gut-wrenching during service. So we'll pre-freeze portions of painkillers in deli yeah. cups and then dump it in the blender, same amount of ice, crushed ice, some fresh juice, and, and you're done. Oh, that's I cool. Mean, it's almost quicker to make than some of the built cocktails. Sure. Wow. And they come out, you know I mean, they come out awesome. That's very cool. I just always have been kind of skeeved out by the frozen machine. I don't know. Where, where do you fall in on that? I, okay. The thing about the frozen drink machine is it it, it is cool. It's it's efficient, but wow. it's also very limiting. Mm-hmm. Because you can't really, like, with a blender, you can throw a whole fruit in there. Yeah, for sure. And Or, or herbs or whatever. Whole ingredients you can right. throw in there and blend them up and make something that is texturally a much more interesting drink. Whereas with a frozen drink machine, it's always the same texture. Yeah. It's pretty much always like, I, I don't ever see anyone getting too crazy with a frozen drink machine. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of like the same flavor profile. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's either something that's like, it's like the most interesting, like if anyone out there has any like suggestions or, or any like cool things that they've seen, please let us know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's always been like, like kind of like a, a frozen like it's always like froze or yeah. you know like a frozen like paper plane mm-hmm. or or jungle bird it's right. always something right, like right, campari exactly. or like aperol the, or something. the negroni that you have to change the proportions of so much so much there's gonna be so much vermouth in there <laughs> yeah, yeah right um which is not a bad thing but yeah it's always kind of like the of the same profile it's either that style or it's like something that's like kind of like cream yeah, like cook, like mm-hmm. like you said, like a painkiller, like right. thrown in in the blender. But I, I've never seen anything. I've never seen anything too like herbaceous. But I feel like it's going to fall apart anyway once yeah. the ice starts melting. Right, and then you're doing these giant batches. You know, at some point it's going to defrost and freeze again and defrost. Yeah, you know? totally. So, and yeah, but with a blender, it's like it's way more interesting. The, the thing that they do at TGT in LA, they. If I remember correctly, they don't have any blenders, but they have the Hamilton Beach Model 33, mm-hmm. the one where you just like it's like the milkshake blender. Yeah, yeah. So they're just like, yeah. I mean, like we, we've got tank. one of those on every on every station because um, I mean that's another incredibly valuable too. I mean, the aeration that you get yeah. over pellet ice in 15 seconds is just incredible. Yeah. Um, but doing the the blended like doing a, a creamy consistency cocktail on those is is a little tough. Yeah. So. We jumped ahead again, <laughs> but uh, yeah. going back to uh, uh, you. So you went to bartending school <laughs> yeah. in New York. Yeah, you were working on a cruise line, or <laughs> right, a, like a dinner cruise situation. Dinner cruise, yeah. And it, I mean, it was. I, I really can't knock it because again, I'm 18 years old. I'm I've got this job in this dinner cruise. I'm even able to drink legally. Exactly. Yet. Um, <laughs> so, but of course, when you're behind a bar and you're 18, you try uh, yeah. you try everything, right? Uh, so it immediately expands your palate of, of spirits. Um, but I'd be working on this boat, and 500 people would get on at the same time. So. Immediately, um, you went from preparing your bar to tickets down to the floor. So I mean, that it was such a like a, a good uh, segue in, into high volume and being able to oh, yeah, keep yeah. a cool head and manage that. I wish uh, I would have learned that at, uh, at at such a young age yeah. because I kind of like I was always working in like kind of like cocktail bars and restaurants, and then eventually, like the bars I was working in, like they just were busier, and and now I'm old, <laughs> so it's like it's. it's ultra painful yeah um 
so yeah, you were you were doing that. You were yep. cranking out drinks. What were some of the drinks that you were making on that? Oh boat? man, you know, it was those are dark times. <laughs> uh, what year are we talking here? Uh, so that's going to be 2003. Okay. Um, I would say the big seller in those days was something called a, a hypnotic breeze. Oh yeah. Uh, came with a glow stick in it uh, in a Sylvania hurricane glass. <laughs> yeah, man. I still have bad dreams sometimes. No wonder you got in a tiki. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So I was lucky enough to, to finally get out of it. I wound up, you know, again, like we were talking about, I was, wound up being the bar manager there before I was even 21. Had, you know, three bars and six bartenders going on to service. Was ordering and organizing a, a ton of booze, not, yeah. for, not for a good beverage program, but a high-volume one. Um, and then I left there and kind of got into the into the hotel game, sort of segued that experience into running multiple beverage programs within the same property. Yeah. So you were working, like, this was in Philadelphia. You're mm-hmm. working at the the Hyatt uh, Bellevue? Yeah, uh, the Hyatt at the Bellevue. Um, you know, which, what was the Bellevue Hotel? You know, yeah. opened in 1901 or 1911 from what I remember. Yeah. And that's a pretty iconic place because that's where the Clover Club uh, came from. Yeah, for sure. Right on the corner of Broad Street. Just incredible history up there in the library bar. I mean, yeah. just a, a, a hundred plus years of, of, you know, aristocrats drinking. Really, really cool stuff. Yeah, and you were saying before that uh, it is an all wooden hotel. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. There's so, no like yeah. steel <laughs> infrastructure. No, yeah. So it's it's totally built of wood. It was one of the, the tallest buildings built in in Philly at the time. It was the same designer as the Plaza here in New York um, oh. designed uh, the Bellevue, um, and just the the bar is is sort of sits between these two perfect replicas of the domed ceilings uh, from Monticello. Um, So, I mean, it's just really ornate and iconic at the top of this, on the 19th floor of this hotel, right right on uh, Broad and Walnut Street. So, really a a historic place. Yeah. My, some some distant relative of mine, George Bolte, was, like, involved with the the Bellevue Hotel. He was, like, the manager of it or something, like, Mm -hmm. during the time of the Clover Club. Yeah. if you go to Clover Club, you can read about him yep. on the opening page. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always, I've always wanted to go there, but I haven't been. I need to spend more. I need to spend more time in all the cities that you've lived in. I, <laughs> I, I, I've been in Philly a couple times. Yeah. I've barely scratched Chicago, uh, but I know there are two very iconic cities in the United States that I'm really surprised and shocked actually that I haven't spent more time there. Um, so, did you when you went to the Bellevue and? Were you bartending there, or did you go straight into management? Yeah, so I went there as manager. Um, and you brought the, the your glow stick program with I you? I did, yeah. I mean, it was really important to me to, to <laughs> keep the glow sticks alive. Well, because, like, didn't didn't Edison design the chandeliers in there? Yeah, in the ballrooms. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, that's some old, stupid lighting shit. So you, you got to bring in the new... Glow sticks, yeah, you know, 100%. Bring, <laughs> bring the to the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was a great bar. You know, we did some work in the, the cocktail program there. Um, but, again, I mean... I was young at the time too, so you know I, I think we did do a, a lot to improve that program. But uh, even so, if you went in there and ordered a Clover Club, at the time would not have been the best cocktail. Right. So how did that change? Did yeah. So I, it was just again taking that one into the sort of the craft cocktail movement. So you know, you just like taking old books and like kind of like making sure that these were it's close to the original spec. That exactly, and I think that that was the, the spot where I, I really started to understand the significance of all this and sure. get into classic cocktails and creating these things correctly. Switching over, you know, this is the time where like fresh juice at a bar was not a, a guarantee. So really, right. just taking it the best we could to the next level in 
2006 in Philadelphia. Yeah. What was the first like classic cocktail that you had that just like kind of like turned on the light bulb? Uh, the they turned on the glow stick. <laughs> uh, a, a fresh, a fresh gin, a fresh lime juice gin gimlet. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, because growing up, my dad was a, a gin gimlet drinker, so Rose's lime was always around. So in my head, a gimlet was Rose's lime juice and and gin, and then someone, you know, made one for me with. Just fresh lime and simple and nice gin, and then that was kind of the, that light bulb moment. Wow. How about you? Honestly, it, it was it's probably Manhattan, like a proper Manhattan mm-hmm. with, with rye whiskey, you know, and bitters. And, yeah. And that's in Oklahoma. So, like, this is like a long time ago, too, so there wasn't access to a lot of stuff. I mean, my friend Brian actually made me a, an, a proper martini. I mean, he was like the first person to ever make me a proper martini that was in Oklahoma City. He actually had a bottle of orange bitters, which no one... I'd only read about orange bitters in, like, old cocktail books. Yeah. Because I think Regan's was... It was around in Feed Brothers, maybe, but they weren't... You didn't find them, like, outside of, like, right. the Northeast, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was it. Pretty simple. I, but it's always those simple ones that are, like... Yeah. That kind of, like, standard, like, your sour build, like a Gimlet, or your, like... Martini Manhattan build or your mm-hmm. old fashioned build or maybe your equal parts build like a Negroni, you know. Yeah. It's like, but it doesn't. It doesn't take a lot to understand that this is a very like in, like complex cocktail with not a whole lot of ingredients. You know, just mm-hmm. like if it's made well, that's like the most important ingredient for sure. But yeah, Gimlet. So you were talking about cocktail books. Like, well, what was the book that opened your eyes on that one? Um. Or sort of, what was the book then, and what is the book now? Like, when I had that cocktail? Yeah. You know what I mean? What was the cocktail book that, that really influenced you then versus... Well, I started... I'll tell you, my, my first uh, my first cocktail book I bought when I was 12 years old, <laughs> which actually is kind of fun, it's called Sex on the Beach and Other Wild Drinks. <laughs> and it was like... I have that book. You do? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> it's a fun book, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just, like, really bright and colorful, yeah. and, like, it's just, like, it's all, like, the super, like... 70s, 80s, 90s, like, kind of, like, early 90s, like, tiki, like, mm-hmm. just, just bright and crazy, um, lots of purples and blues and stuff, yeah. uh, and, like, electric green, but, um, I think, yeah, I mean, like, the Joy of Mixology was, like, one of those books. For sure. You know? I was, I was gonna say the same, it was, like, Joy, Joy of Mixology and, and... Uh, vintage spirits and forgotten cocktails sure. too. Very, you know, relatively straight, straightforward. And, you know, limited recipe book, but at the time, you know, it was a, a good kickstart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't even want to knock that Sex on the Beach and Other Wild Drinks book because, like, honestly, there was a. I'll I'll tell you why. Um, there's a glossary at the back of it, and when I was a kid, and I was like finding all these like old cocktail books, you know, and they were talking about, like, like a lot of times it wouldn't even, like, give you a proper measurement. It would say two-thirds to one-third this, you know? Like, it wouldn't give you ounces or milligrams mm-hmm. or, or, you know, any of that stuff. But, and a lot of times it would have, it would say just, like, white Puerto Rican rum or something, or, yeah. or like, Curacao. And I was like, what the hell is that, you know? And so, looking at that book, it was actually... It was cool because I could go back and reference what those ingredients were and kind of right. get an idea of what was triple sec. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's really simple shit like that, mm-hmm. but when you're like preteen, right. <laughs> like you've not had any of this stuff, and it's like it's super important. And then, you know, eventually, 
<laughs> go from those kinds of drinks like kamikazes and things like that to uh, just drinking really awesome rum straight. Yep. Which I think we're going to do here in a little bit right after the break. Um, but yeah, I can't believe you have that book. You know who else has that book? Brian Miller. Really? Well, yeah, I think talk- it's, it, that might have something to do with it. It, it. I came upon that book looking for tiki and tropical cocktail books. Oh, yeah. So. It, it, I feel like it's kind of like it has uh, like a little bit more prestige than I ever gave it credit for <laughs> at this point. All right. We'll be back in a second. We are going to drink some rum after the break. And yeah, let's do that. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. back you're listening to the speakeasy on heritage radio network and today we have kevin berry of three dots and a dash in chicago in the studio we've just been talking about our <laughs> like the the trajectory into uh the space you're in now from some really funny uh <laughs> i you know sure. it's funny like we've talked about people who like we've had people on the show before that uh that have gone to uh bartending school and like they 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 typically don't admit it. Yep. Because like, or they won't put it on their like when they were in their earlier uh, days, mm-hmm. they uh, they wouldn't admit it on their resume or their application because it was like at the time that like people were starting to really like get into it, and like there were a lot of like bad habits that they picked up at bartending school, so like right. they wouldn't get hired based on the fact mm-hmm. that they went to the school. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is. And that's legitimate. But at the time, that's how you got your first bartending job. Yeah. You know. At 18 years old. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense, though. Yeah. I, well, it, it, it totally does with that regard, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, where would you... How, you know, how would that even happen if you didn't go to bartending mm-hmm. school? I mean, because you're not old enough to have, like, worked in the industry for long enough to, like, apprentice or anything, so... Exactly. It makes total sense yeah. to me. So, um, so they, they throw you behind a bar, you make terrible drinks for a few years until you actually learn how to yeah. bartend. Just a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about before the break um, about some of our old favorite drinks, some stuff that got us into it. Mm. But I know that you and I are both, um, we both kind of like had the same path where we were really into like the 19th century, like stirred, boozy, like old school hotel yeah. style, like cocktails. I mean, that's like, you just you feel like whenever you're drinking those cocktails that you, you are like sipping history, mm-hmm. you know? And so then we progress a little bit. You know, we like started taking off the vests and ties and putting on uh, tiki shirts yep. and I like, have fun. Mm-hmm. But the, the cool thing about it is, like, we've talked about this on the show before too, is that, uh, you know, tiki drinks aren't just a bunch of like fruit juice and rum thrown together. There's a very specific balance of ingredients and some really crazy stuff. Like, I mean, if you look at old recipes for 
the zombie even. It's like, like six dashes of or six do, uh, drops of Pernod. Right. It's like, how did they land on that? Like, how many times did they have to make this drink before they landed on six? Yeah, it was it was way harder than I anticipated. You know, yeah. I, I think bartending, you have this idea like, oh, those tiki drinks, they're just throwing a bunch of rum and juice and. Big but cup, and it's, it's actually great. Good. No, yeah. <laughs> it was, it's not. As it turns it's out. It's certainly not that easy. It's, it's much more difficult. There's so many elements that can go wrong and totally screw the balance of your yeah. cocktail that it just takes so much more of attention to detail than I was used to, and I didn't anticipate it yeah. being like that. Yeah, it's actually, it's it, it has the guise of being like just fun and kind of like thrown together mm-hmm. and hodgepodge, but it's actually much more elevated, er, elevated, uh, version of of making cocktails yeah i mean i can teach i can teach out how to make an agroni right now mm-hmm. like anyone you know but to make something like a like the caribbean rum punch or right. you know something like that it's just like it's yeah. a lot and like you might not have the ingredients yeah like most of them right. <laughs> yeah but find some sarsaparilla bark at your local store right <laughs> i dare you yeah right. <laughs> um but yeah i to me way the way i started getting into drinks like i think a lot of people Especially from the craft cocktail kind of renaissance, was the daiquiri, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then like as a buyer for bars, like anytime someone would bring a rum by, the first thing you do is you make a daiquiri, yeah, see how it works because yeah. you know that's what you're gonna essentially base everything. I mm-hmm. always do like an old fashioned and a daiquiri, right? Because that's base. That's basically what you're gonna build off of in mm-hmm. the first place. But um, it looks like you brought a couple of rums, but we are not gonna make daiquiris with them. No, I think we should just I drink them. Tr- yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, some cool stuff here. One of them, we've got some a black adder bottling of Hampton Estate, sixteen year old. Um, so you know, a very similar base spirit to. I'm sure you've uh, been exposed to the rum fire. That's uh, oh yeah, all the rage right now. You know, really super funky highest or stuff. And this is just an example of it when it has laid down and rested and sort of chilled yeah. out a little bit. Yeah. That being said, it's uh, old enough to drive now. Yeah, with most of the black hat or stuff, though, they they bottled it at cast strain, so it's fifty eight percent alcohol. Okay, and that's that's all the the charcoal <laughs> from the cast still floating around oh, in cool. there, so can definitely use a little bit of a splash of water. Cool. Um, I it's kind of strange to me the uh, phenomenon of of fire uh, fire sorry <laughs> rum fire it is fire. Um, but the the fact that people are just like shooting it, <laughs> bartenders are like fucking going crazy for it and taking shots of it. Yeah, it's raw. I mean, that and Rand Nephew. I mean, they're great. I, those are those are just you know really two very very versatile rums to to use behind the bar. That being said, are they supposed to be in in the line chair, two ounce pour in your cocktail? Probably not. It's yeah. more of a, gonna a complimentary a, layer of flavor. Yeah, I'm not going to carry around a flask of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> it depends. Those cold Chicago nights, maybe. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, dude. Right. I mean, you can definitely tell it's from the same family mm-hmm. in the nose. Right. Yep. Yep, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's righteous. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a... At home, do you have like a, a shit ton of... You have like a big home bar. Yeah, I, it's a big rum bar, yeah, and actually, it's more so a big rum agricole bar. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of traveling the past few years to, uh, to some of the countries that are producing these rums. Um, you know, so Martinique and Sulucia was just an incredible chip, and just getting to see those distilleries and having access to some of the rum that's on that island. That's one of those places where 
the people that live on that island, the culture that developed around these distilleries is so ingrained in the rum that yeah. they really are, are careful about what they're drinking and their selection of rum is just unbelievable. Oh man, it's it's hard for me whenever I go to those places because I'm like, yeah. I mean, how many bottles can I really get away with like smuggling mm-hmm. back, you know? Yeah, I think probably I came like, I, I tried to bring back almost 40 and then 35 made it back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. Oh my God. The rest broke, but... Yeah. They weren't taken away. So that was wow. Okay. Well, now I've got a, a new barometer of what I can... They're 40 bottles? Yeah, Jeez. they just... I mean, if they stop you, you just have to pay the duty. Um, you know, I guess that's if you get stopped. So they'll have to figure... Try to assess the taxes and get it figured out, but... Dang, you can I didn't bring know back a fair amount. Wow. Okay. Fuck bringing clothes, man. I'm just yeah. gonna... Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> well, but I guess then the other problem is, like, top, typically, like... You're kind of in smaller planes, so you're not able to check too much yeah. baggage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, but I think this is... I feel like, you know, scotch and rum are maybe the two the two spirits that kind of vary the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but rum definitely is, like, number one. It's, like, it can be made anywhere it's, in the world. Yeah, and, it's incredible. And, and especially, you know, when you, when you think about how narrow the variance in fermentation medium is right and you're either dealing with molasses of some grade or cane honey or fresher cane juice relatively you know limited right. variation there and then the just rest of the decision making that goes through distillation you know through time of fermentation and distillation style to then wind up with such an incredible diversity is wild yeah I think the, and also the fact that you can't like I know why you have such a big rum bar in your home yeah because I'm same way because they all they taste so differently and, like, sure. and also most of them you can't get in the United States yeah like a lot of the really cool ones we don't get here so mm-hmm. it is it does become like to be like a rum lover it, it means that you're kind of you're an explorer you're you know? a, you're a fanatic yeah you're yeah. a collector for sure you have to I mean, it I is think, a collector's hobby I think sure. I, everybody's always saying like you know this is going to be the rum renaissance it's happening but it really does now feel like it's happening even in the last three years the availability yeah. of rum you know in Illinois where we're running three dots and a dash has has come so far um, you know just the things that are starting to come to the country now are really incredible yeah what else do you got? All right. So this other one. Uh, so St. Lucia Distillers. Again, we were talking about sort of those variations in the rum. The cool thing about this distillery, only distillery in St. Lucia, is their still configuration. They've got two John Doerr stills, a double column, and a, a Vendome hybrid still. Uh, and then they're fermenting molasses and their own fresh cane juice from a tiny little sugar cane field behind the distillery. Um, so this one distillery alone is making... You know, this incredible diversity of styles of rum. And then this particular one is sort of just their, you know, I don't want to say their collector's item, but sort of a, a blend of, of some of their best. Cool. Still haven't been to St. Lucia either. Awesome. I, I mean, I had gone to St. Lucia sort of unrelated uh, maybe eight or ten years ago. And it was incredible. And then I got to go back for rum stuff, and it was just even better. Nice. Thank you. This one's much darker. Man, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought these on the show today, man. This is great. Oh Good yeah. Yep, yeah, that one's good. Yeah, so that's really cool stuff. I mean, so this is like, you know, this is six Ooh. different distillates in a bottle. You know, it's really cool. Wow, that one's great. Yeah. Holy crap. Yep. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> 
you're gonna have to you have to seek these out on your own. Yeah, this one could be so. There's there's an addition to this that gets released every year. Got released every year for the last like six or seven years. Um, so this the pink one is you know this sixth or eighth edition of it. Cool. Um, but I bought the rest of it that's in the country. So sorry. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> So, do you guys um, go back to Three Dots and Dash? Yeah. Do you do any like whiskey classes, or sorry, uh, run classes for yeah. for customers? Um, you, I you know, know you, you mentioned that you did a lot of education for your staff. Yeah, yeah. For the for the staff, I mean, we've tasted. You know, all of my bartenders have tasted through every rum that we carry. Um, hmm. You know, so we went distillery by distillery, country by country, tasted through everything, talked about it, talked about their you know their um, techniques and aging, and um, that was great. Um, the consumers are tricky. Uh, you know, we've, we've definitely done a, a couple pilot things to, to do rum tasting with consumers. Um, I mean, as you know, I think when interacting with consumers and spirits, they're, there's a limited interest and, I don't know, attention span. And it's often, I feel like, whenever you're hosting these things for consumers, you have three people in the class that are super into rum, three people that had a, you know enjoy drinking rum, and the other three that just totally don't give a shit or just... You know, they're, they're, they're for, there to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So uh, I think tailoring those programs to, uh, to sort of satisfy all those people in the same group is is the key. It is tricky, man, because like there'll there'll be the people who get, like someone bought them a ticket for the class, like as a birthday yeah. gift or right. something. They're, they're on a third date or whatever. It is. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, there's always that one where like, like oh shit, uh, it's my significant other's birthday tomorrow and I totally forgot to get him a gift and yeah. I'm sitting at this bar right now so I'm going right. to sign him up for this class honey we're going to a rum tasting <laughs> happy 30th anniversary yeah <laughs> I totally didn't forget yep um, yeah I mean, the, uh, I mean you guys have such a large selection around so I mean it only makes sense I mean I know that Souther does like Amaro classes at, yeah. at Moria Margo mm-hmm. um, but I feel like that's Feel like his bar is small enough to where you know when, when you do classes like that, it's like it kind of makes more sense. It does feel like a very small like right. classroom, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah, our bar can get a little a little wild. Yeah, how big? How many people? You said two hundred. Uh, Two fifty. Yeah, so, I mean, you'll, we'll be three four deep at the bar cranking out tiki drinks. It's wild. How um, many do you make in a, like a Saturday night? Uh, generally over two thousand. Good God. <laughs> um, so we'll cycle. We wind up. Yes, generally have about one and a half cocktails. Uh, we'll cycle through about fifteen hundred people through the venue on a Saturday, um, and put out anywhere from twenty one to twenty three or twenty four hundred cocktails. Um, My God. Yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a major, you know, prep operation just to keep that going. You know, we've got full team of juice and garnish guys seven days a week that come in, produce fresh citrus juice, cold pressed juice for the pineapple orjada, all that stuff. Um, wow, and and we produce uh, juice for a couple other restaurants too. So we're a massive juice and syrup operation. Wow, are you outsourcing? Like, do you sell to any other bars or anything? No, you can't. I mean, you you really you can't uh, sell fresh juice unpasteurized. Hmm. Um, so I mean that that's a little bit of a tricky part. So really, it's just uh, just for our family restaurants that are in the same gotcha. um, location, but. Um, yeah, it's been pretty wild, and that was a lot of the fun stuff. It was really, you know, I mean, we I got in and we started from the beginning with the team of Three Dots, tore everything apart from Falernum Orjat. We make every syrup. We really don't buy anything. We buy coconut fat because producing your own coconut fat is a real pain. 
Yeah. But even that, you know, is mixed with fresh coconut and coconut water. And, um, man. Um, so what would you say, like, the top-selling cocktail is over at Three Dots and Dash? We sell a lot of, uh, we, um, <laughs> we sell some painkillers. Um, you know, it's always been a, a popular cocktail. The Three Dots and Dash, um, the, the sure. namesake cocktail has always, always been very popular. And then the, it seems like the strong drinks, people really want to come drink strong drinks. So uh, Cobra's Fang has always done really well for us. Yeah. sell a ton of zombies. Um, have some pretty wild presentations for some large-format stuff. Uh, Bali Bali is the one that does does always really well. Cool. And you said that you are in town. Basically, you're in town just like running around, like checking stuff out. Yeah, checking out bars, talking to people about rum. I, it seems uh, people are very interested right now in hearing about rum and hearing bartenders' takes on rum and how they're using rum. I think, I think there's interest that's stemming from sort of the consumer about how to use rum at home. Maybe they're going to the liquor store and buying one bottle of rum, getting it home, trying to make cocktails and not having good results. Right. So I think they're very much looking towards us in the industry sort of a, as a guide of, of how to really purchase and use rum. Yeah, I mean, like, in, they all do something. They, they all do the same thing, but they do it in much different ways, right? Mm-hmm. What one rum can do, two can do better? For sure. I mean, as an example, we have, we don't have any cocktails that have less than two rums, and most cocktails have three and four. Um, so, I mean, for us, you know, using the best parts of each one of those flavor profiles to achieve the overall cocktail is yeah has been uh is crucially important totally um i was gonna ask uh when you guys because i I know we just did our whole fall menu flip and uh we did every single cocktail we tasted with every single spirit in that category yeah yeah of course in every combination Uh my god Costs, yeah. It costs a lot to flip a menu. No, no, for sure. It's, it's just a lot of time and a lot of yeah. power fatigue. But yeah, I mean, we we're, we're the same way. We tried in every possible configuration to make the decision solely based on what the best result was. Yeah. You know, we're very, you know, we don't really allow any any brand influence um, as far as cocktail placement. It's just the goal is always to make the best the iteration. Best, yeah. Totally. Uh, but, and, and we've let that bleed out of rum. Like, we split-based gin and, and whiskey. I mean, we, you know, have found that, that you know, the, the mindset of... of Picking up one bottle and um, as your cocktail build, most often is is not the best result. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I, I'm that I'm that way with vermouth. I mean, yeah, definitely in Negronis and Manhattan's. You know, even when I make fifty fifty martinis, I split the vermouth mm-hmm. like, between dry and blanc. Like, yeah, just stuff like that. I mean, but but that's also I don't know. You can't really like tell consumers to do that kind of stuff. It's hard to, you know, like now oh, you're buying. I know. Two. Like, I know. It's hard enough for them to buy one bottle of vermouth. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, two. try to tell somebody what rum they should go buy to make daiquiris. There's no good answer to that question. I have four in my daiquiri. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Rum fires in there. Yeah. Um, right, there we go. Right <laughs> in a small proportion. For sure. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's like a couple dashes. <laughs> yeah. But it's in there. But yeah, there are definitely four rums in my my daiquiri. But I mean, that's. That's where it gets like, I don't know, the progression of like nerdiness that happens when you're like, when you're moving from like, uh, you know, making Martinez cocktails to, you know, going to like making tiki cocktails. It's like, Mm -hmm. it starts, it kind of, I I feel like that's when I started doing tiki cocktails, it started making me change the way I did classic cocktails. Yeah. You know, I I actually did go back because of the fact that like, and I guess it must've been because of that fact that like when you're mixing different rums and you you kind of come up with a, a, your own proprietary blend Mm -hmm. for this cocktail, then you start like, you start looking at other cocktails, like your classic stirred stuff. And you start looking at that stuff in a different way. Yeah. Just like your gimlet, you know, like I 
I typically I don't make a lot of gimlins, so they don't get called for too much mm-hmm. at my bar. Um, but when I do, I I definitely split the gins. Yeah. And I I never would have you know ten years ago I never would have thought that would have been a thing. But yeah. I mean, even just something as simple as, as sugar syrup, you know, you spend so much time yeah. determining the right sugar syrup and tiki that it totally you know makes you retool the rest of your your cocktail arsenal. Yeah. How many? <laughs> How many sugar syrups do you have? Well, that, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> non-flavored. I mean, really, we try... I think we've found the best results in that that we're, oh, for the most part, using only two-to-one syrups. So only, only yeah. higher um, brick syrups. Um, and even, you know, even further than that, when you consider something like petite, petite cane syrup, it's 72% sugar. It's like mm-hmm. the sweetest, you know, the most sugar that you can even keep in suspension before it crystallizes. And that has a huge effect on the mouthfeel. So... Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's a lot of uh, of Alberta cane, cane and and uh, Martinique cane syrup. I mean, seventy two percent. I didn't realize it was seventy two percent. Yeah, it's crazy. It's That's like crazy it, high. You know, Martinique cane syrup and honey are kind of yeah in the same. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. That's why I like using it so much. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why the drinks are so good, right? Because they have that like nice, thick, viscous yeah. mouthfeel. Did you did you go through a phase where you thought? Uh, I've always talked to Jim Kearns about this, that when, you know, when when you're starting out, like, doing all these cocktails, especially, like, the stirred, boozy, bitter cocktails, especially with, like, so many customers saying not too sweet all the time. God. <laughs> right? Yep. I found That's that... a tough one. Like, I, you know, I tried... <laughs> Where's you know, on you? <laughs> I, I, I've got a Fernet Bronca tattoo. You know, like, I, I like bitters, you know? Oh. But, and I, I, I do, I love bitter stuff, but, like, at the same time, like... We were talking one day behind the bar, and we were like trying out this one cocktail, and we're workshopping for a menu uh, swap, and um, we just realized it needed more sugar, and we kind of looked at each other, and we're like, are, are we sure about this? I'm like, yeah, actually, it, it just needs more sugar. It was like, it had like a quarter ounce of simple in it, mm-hmm. or like, I think it was Demerara, and we bumped it to a half, and it was like, the string's all right, this is where the string needs to be, man. Yeah. And so we started passing around, and everyone tasted it, and they're like, yeah, that's great. What'd you do? We're like, we just added more sugar. And they're like, really? That's all you had to do? Mm-hmm. That's weird, because uh, it didn't taste sweet. It just changed the mouthfeel. And, like, changed, when you change the density of a cocktail or a spirit, I mean, if you look at the like the Hamilton Gold versus the Hamilton Black, the only thing that is different about that rum is that they right. add caramel yeah, coloring to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But those are, they do if you blind tasted them. We've done it because we were sort of in disbelief, and yeah, they they do taste different. Yeah, they feel different. Yeah, <laughs> you know and I mean? it's all because of yeah. just the density changes, right. which is which obviously changes the the aromatics mm-hmm. in the nose, and like it's just kind of crazy when when you just well, it's it's not adding sugar really, it's just adding it's just changing the weight of yeah. the spirit. So I think on that whole not too sweet topic too, it's just such a. It, Impossible situation because you give a, a lot of your guests a dry cocktail, they think it's tart, and then they equate that with also being sweet, you know. And then you give them one that's too sweet, and it's they complain that it's too sweet. So it's like, really have to nail that balance. There's almost no winning. Yeah, I know. Like whenever I get someone who orders like a gimlet and they're like, no sugar gimlet, I'm like, really? That's all right. Yeah, fine. Here I'm gonna go. make that. Yeah, and I'll make it for them. And they're like. It's fucking perfect. Like, <laughs> sometimes just getting what it, yeah. what you want is like the best flavor, yeah. you know. And that's, but but also at the same time, like in the hospitality industry, you have to like make that drink for them the first time, 
the way they want it, even yeah. if it's a really stupid idea. For sure. And it's their dumb drink. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't because want this. while they're having that drink, then you can talk to them and be like, man, if you like that, you should try like a last word. Yeah. You know, and then kind of switch gears on them. And then mm-hmm. you've done two things. One, you've introduced them to some other ingredients like chartreuse and maraschino that they never would try before. Yeah. And also, you've enlightened them and you've most likely made a customer for life that's going to keep coming back because you, you, you know, you took care of them. Gave them what they wanted mm-hmm. and then you turned them on to something. Yeah. And they're coming back. If they want a glass of lime juice, <laughs> we've got fresh yeah. pressed lime yeah. juice. I had three dots in a dash. <laughs> you can, <laughs> and there's a whole team working around the clock, making fresh yeah. lime juice just for you to have like a rocks glass full of it. <laughs> we get a lot of uh, you know not too sweet and make it strong, make it strong. And that's yeah. that's something you don't want to ever tell a tiki bartender to make your cocktail strong. Oh yeah, you're gonna oh because go they down. will. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely will. Yeah. You're not challenge me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, when you're dealing with like overproof rums and like absence and things like yeah. that I'd be like yeah it's you're, you're kind of asking for it man right. especially you when know. you when you pop out to smoke your very stylish cigar after a couple of strong tiki drinks mm-hmm. and then you just like get lightheaded and have to go home mm-hmm. yeah it's not a good look um, I've been there before <laughs> I tiki tea like this sounds like <laughs> this is coming from experience yeah it's yeah tiki tea man you so, I mean, actually when, smoke when, in the bar though when you walk into a tiki bar what's your go to order Usually, I mean, it's kind of like in the same way that if somebody brings me a rum, I'll make a daiquiri. Mm-hmm. Usually, if I go into a tiki bar, yeah, it's either it's typically a mai tai. Yeah, like I agree. Mai tai is the litmus test to your tiki totally. bar. Totally. Yeah. You drink exactly. the mai tai and then you look around and go, "All right, yeah, now let's get into it." <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, like it used to be a zombie, but then there's so many different variations on the zombie historically yeah. that mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense to like judge a place. Immediately by their zombie. Yeah. Is it the 57? Is it like the 1950? Like, right. you know, what is it? But, um, but the Mai Tai is kind of like, it needs to be like a Mai Tai. It needs to be like perfectly balanced with the orjat and the lime and yeah. the, the rums. And, and also, I like it. I don't know. It's, the Mai Tai is just such a good drink on its own anyway, like in any bar. And if you can't nail that in a tiki bar where that's like your thing, yeah, then you're in tough shape. Yeah. Because even bad Mai Tais are, are still pretty good. Yeah, well, that's true. You know? Yeah. As long as you're not red. Yeah, right. When you're in Hawaii and you're on the beach and you're at a resort and you have a shitty Mai Tai, I mean, you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. You know? On this current menu, we, we did a, a Trader Vic style and like the correct way to do a Mai Tai. And then our interpretation of... A shitty Mai Tai, but with good things, so it's the yeah. good, shitty Mai Tai. <laughs> I like that. It's yeah. great. It's delicious. Very cool. Um, well, you are very awesome for bringing this stuff in and yeah, talking with sure us. Did. I know that you're uh, going to be you're going for your like masters in distillation brewing soon. Yeah, uh, I'm working on that currently, uh, which has been great. Uh, adding going going to school into to bar management is always a treat. A lot of. Yeah. Uh, Biochemistry and microbiology at the moment. Very cool. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Nerd. <laughs> yeah, right. That's awesome. I mean, man. But you know, at this point, it's like when when there's an there is an avenue to learn as much as you want to about about distillation. I think yeah. that really is the next step. Yes, it is very technical and it's you know science focused. But I mean, there's a few topics that I think a lot of us could be 
Oh man, we're interested in. I would love to. Like, if if I were going to go back to school, that's what it would be for. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky enough in this industry to have so many great like resources for for information like mm-hmm. that, like guys like Dave Pickroll, certainly, sure. where we can just kind of pick their brains and yeah. and get a lot of that information. But of course, that's like your like bar barroom diploma, you know. Where uh, whereas it's not technically like the real thing, but mm-hmm. that's very cool that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, can't wait to have you back on the show and talk yeah, to you about sure. how that turned out. Actually, Southern and I have been talking about going to Chicago and doing some interviews, so we should do one from Three Dots and a Dash. I think that's a great idea. And we'll drink all the rum. Mm-hmm. For <laughs> not, sure. Get the rum title together. <laughs> Make it strong. Yeah. Make it strong. <laughs> all right, cool, man. We're at the end of the show. Do you want to throw out any of your social media plugs or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, you can find us at uh, 3.chicago.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, um, at Heads to Tails. Uh, come check us out when you're in town. Yeah, sure will, man. What's your favorite pizza spot in Chicago? You know that I grew up on Long Island, man. I just can't condone. Oh, I can't condone yeah. Chicago pizza. It's just not for me. Dang, you know, it's like a casserole. Mm, it's a, it's pizza lasagna. I, I'm lasagna. sorry. I'll tell the world, Chicago, you got great hot dogs. Just let the pizza thing go. It's got the best hot dog then. Ooh, it's gonna get you in trouble. <laughs> no, that's tough. I mean, they're all unanimously good, man. They like char the shit out of a hot dog and then throw a ton of ton of good stuff on it, and it comes on a nice poppy seeded bun. Like, I mean, they're great. For what it's worth, I have one vote for greatest hot dogs in the country. Okay, right, the hot dog connoisseur. And what is it? Oh no, Chicago! I love oh, Chicago. Oh, Chicago. <laughs> Sorry, oh you're talking. About this. I thought you were saying a spot. Not, like, you're saying just the city in general. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. It's good to know. Well, the style, the style. Yeah, what is the style of Chicago duck? It's like a, and again, I'm not like a connoisseur. I'm a native New Yorker here. Um, but uh, hot dog with peppers, and uh, the key to it really is like is uh, lettuce, tomato, onions, and uh, celery salt. I also think isn't salt. the bun seeded? Yeah, with poppy seeds, yeah. which is weird, but good. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it sounds like the most healthy option for a hot dog ever. Yeah, that's great. I'm from Oklahoma. They're all like chili cheese dogs with like grilled onions and shit like that. <laughs> so I'm kind of biased. So. All, right. <laughs> all right. So we'll fill you full of Chicago hot dogs and all the rum. All right. Sounds great. <laughs> I'll make sure that Souther's there and I'll make sure that uh, we'll bring some cigars too. <laughs> cool. Sounds well, good. it's been great having you yeah, on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. Appreciate and, it. And uh, really appreciate bringing the, grum, the rum today. Uh, I'll take some photos. We'll post them on our Instagram so people can see what they're missing out on. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> and... Yeah, thanks again for being on today. For sure, really thank great. you. Uh, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Three Dots and a Dash in Chicago. That's Three Dots Chicago on your social media. And also check out many more programs like this one on heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station and help us keep bringing you great radio and to help us keep drinking rum during the afternoon with our friends. Mm. <laughs> Until next week, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 